experts in engineering and manufacturing solutions that meet the industry's water needs. This is The Intake, a podcast hosted by Atlas SSI. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Intake, an Atlas SSI podcast. Thanks for joining us again. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and we're bringing you great conversations from Atlas SSI's perspective in the industry. Thanks again for subscribing and listening along. Uh, If you want to listen to previous episodes, make sure that you're subscribing on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. On there, you can find a catalog of all of our previous conversations and, of course, be notified when we drop new episodes. You can also find more information about our company as well as uh, more information on our content as well, everything from podcasts to articles and videos, on our website at atlas-ssi.com. Again, that's atlas-ssi.com. So today's episode continues some conversations we've been having on the program around the EPA's 2014 Clean Water Act, specifically some of the updates and effects that it's had on the water intake industry. We're going to be talking about how to maneuver requirements and considerations that come with complying with the 316B rule for reducing fish impingement mortality via installations of modified traveling water screens, or MTWSs. For insights, we're joined by two guests, Dan Giza, Senior Environmental Scientist at ASA Analysis and Communication, and Ford Wall, Vice President of Sales at Atlas SSI. They're going to be breaking down um, some of the key points of the regulation, as well as the processes for implementing the studies that are necessary uh, for checking if you are compliant with the 316B rule and why this is so important for the future of the industry. So again, Dan, Ford, great to have you both on. How are y'all doing? Good, good. Doing great. Thank you very much. Great. Yeah, thank you. It's a pleasure getting you both on. Uh, We've spoken with Ford Wall on the podcast before, so Ford, great to uh, be sitting down with you again. However, Dan Giza is a new guest, so let me just quickly give our audience some context on Mr. Giza's background here. So Dan Giza has over 15 years of experience as a consultant and research biologist working on fish passage and protection issues at various types of water intakes. He's participated in the biological research and development of -of state-of-the-art fish protection technologies that are now in use throughout North America. So Dan Giza, great to have you on as well. Uh, For uh, some clarity and some context for our audience, can y'all both re-explain the exact updated requirements for being 316B compliant and what the EPA's motivating factors were for encouraging a reduction in fish impingement in the first place? Sure. So uh, the with regards to fish impingement, the US EPA had finalized the Section 316B rule of the Clean Water Act in October of 2014. Um, and with a few exceptions, that rule provides seven paths to compliance uh, with the impingement mortality standard. So one way facilities can meet that standard modified traveling water screens and modified traveling water screens incorporate what's uh, called fish friendly features and these are commonly referred to as modified wrist trough 
Ristroff is a terminology that refers to some of the early research that was done on the collection bucket. And EPA defines these fish-friendly features as this collection bucket that's designed to minimize turbulence. These buckets contain guards or rails to prevent the fish from escaping. Uh, screens have smooth mesh. Uh, they rotate continuously or near continuously. They have low pressure spray wash, and they're properly designed uh, fish return as well. Yeah, so, and I, and I guess I can add to that, like Dan said, there, there's seven paths, and, and really the one we'll, we'll discuss today is the traveling water screens, and I, and I guess more than anything, and, and I'm excited to have Dan on the podcast today from a biological side. Dan, one of the really good guys out there in this industry, I've known him for a long time, and I appreciate him joining the podcast and working with us. But but Dan has a lot of knowledge. There's a lot of factors that goes into the different species and, and the whole testing of it. And, and Dan's one of the experts out there. So I really appreciate him. And I, and, I, and I hope that's what we focus on more on the biological side today because he's very well versed in that side of it. Right. Absolutely. Thanks, Ford. Yeah. And I, I would add, once a facility would in, install one of these screens, they're required to conduct this two-year impingement technology study. And I think EPA's motivation in, in requiring this additional component or, or uh, compliance option is to ensure that once those screens are installed, that they're operating and maintained kind of at an optimal setting for fish survival. And since each facility is different with respect to their layout and water body and even the fish species that are there, this is a site-specific requirement that has to be done in the field at each facility once the screens are installed. Yeah, Dan mentioned the uh, environmental the environmental study, and, and that's when the ruling first came out in the optimization study. Uh, it, 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 there's a lot of gray area there, so there, there's been a whole lot of, of uh, kind of deer in the headlights when you start talking about optimization study. And there were there was a good bit of information maybe that you could go by some past studies and things. And I wouldn't mind, Dan, is that still, are people using some of their past studies as a part of their optimization? And, and how has the optimization period or the study changed since 2014 till today? Uh, I guess to give some background on what the actual requirements are for that that particular study is that it, it EPA requires that it's it's a two-year study. You have to sample no less than once per month. However, your permit director could extend that at their discretion if they wanted to. The impingement at uh, during this study needs to be representative of that facility. Organisms must be identified to their lowest taxa, and the methods must be accounted for as far as how you you calculate, you know, mortality and then the results of those study that study is then used by the permit director in the in developing the permit for reporting conditions and how that screen is is supposed to operate into their permit so i i think uh, a lot of facilities are using uh previous and, and information uh, that's been developed either by vendors such as Atlas SSI, whether that's uh, you know laboratory or field evaluations that have been done, or work that's been done by say the Electric Power Research Institute on the topic, in both selecting which screen they're going to put in, also using that information to help say verify which components and parameters they'll look at during this optimization study. A lot of those screens to some extent are already optimized by design. So you can look at a lot of previous work that's been done to kind of decide uh, what to look at in your optimization study. You know, there might be components and things that you might not need to look at because uh, a screen vendor such as Atlas SSI is already kind of optimized 
angle of the spray wash header or or the water depth of the fish return and and those might be components you don't need to look at so so to your to your question i guess uh afford you could use that information uh to maybe narrow down what to look at for that optimization study so again for the uninitiated just to give a little more context on impingement and entrainment specifically uh, respectively they mean you know when a fish gets trapped against water intake screens due to high speed intake and fish being pulled into the intake because of a lack of a screen. So part of that 316B rule is that to reduce fish impingement and entrainment, water intake professionals can install a modified traveling water screen, or MTWS, and with that comes a two-year impingement technology performance optimization study. Uh, so I know y'all were already sort of talking about this a little bit, but Dan, if you could give us some more context, can you break down the goals of this study for 316B compliance and why EPA regulators added this to the requirements in the first place? Yeah, so with regards to why EPA added this, uh, my understanding is really that they wanted to ensure that once a facility selected a modified traveling water screen and they installed it, that that screen was going to be operated in a, I guess, an optimal setting. So it, it is ensuring that it's providing the best protection and survival, ensuring that facilities were looking at different ways that they could tweak the screen, be that how quickly it rotates, maybe how much spray wash is coming in, depth of water trough on the back end, um, things like that, that they could change to help kind of tweak and, and increase that survival uh, to make sure that those screens are operating at, at their best that they can at those, at those sites. Ensuring that the permit directors were putting in kind of goals or, or, or certain things that the facilities folks can be maintaining on those screens to make sure that they're, they're going to continue to stay at those optimal settings throughout the life of the screens and, and the permit. I kind of see the optimization study broken down really into to kind of five, five steps. You know, the first being that facilities will need to kind of select the appropriate modified traveling water screen for their site, you know, work with with vendors like in, and, and folks like Ford uh, to kind of select the screen, get that installed, ensure they have the appropriate components. And those components are accessible and adjustable um, as well, if those are the ones that they're going to be evaluating uh, in the field. They'll also need to design and install a, a fish return system. A lot of facilities do not have one currently, so part of these modified fish-friendly traveling water screens, collect fish, turn those fish back to the water body. So, so that trough that returns the fish back would need to be designed and installed uh, at the site. Uh, facilities, I guess, thirdly, would need to develop an, an optimization study plan. So they'll need to think about what components are they going to uh, evaluate uh, throughout this two-year period? What what is that uh, study going to look like? You know, how many folks are going to need to be there? How are they going to sample the fish off of the screen? How are they going to hold the fish after? You know, these fish will need to be evaluated for any kind of latent mortality issues. So they'll need to be put into a fish holding facility that would have to be installed at the facility so that the fish can be held for a couple days to see if there were any uh, late mortality issues. Um, they'll also need to kind of look at, I guess, the the duration of of that their their sampling and uh, how often uh, they'll be sampling. We'll be sampling off multiple screens, uh, all of the screens at once. It'll be a two hour study uh, they'll be looking at for each component. Will it be you know four hours, uh, things of that nature? There's a lot of detail there that needs to be considered. Once that is considered, 
the facilities will then need to implement and conduct that study over that two-year period. And then finally, um, as I mentioned, uh, this information goes to their permitter, who then incorporates some of the information into their permit um, and how their screen is going to be operated and maintained. So that's kind of the last step is that facilities will need to be thinking about how they're going to operate and maintain these screens into the future to make, to make sure that they're, uh, they're maintaining that, that those optimal settings that they've uh, identified during this study. And I, and I might add in there, in, in, in the, the last point that Dan made, Dan, correct me if I'm wrong here, but the, the final ruling, the optimization period allowed that site-specific plant where maybe the, they do the optimization study and one plant may get 97%, that goes in the permit. The next plant, because of certain species and things, they may only get 93%, but, but it's a little bit of a moving target, but it allows them to spend some time to determine what their percentages is, and then that goes in the permit. Is that is that correct, Dan? Right. The reason it needed to be site specific is is because all facilities are really different, both in the species, uh, the water body, you know, how many fish they're impinging, you know. So you need to do these site specific and 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 look at it, you know, on an individual basis, and and you're. The, the survival can vary from, from site to site. It can also vary from species to species. So as part of this ruling, um, the, the EPA has identified uh, what they call fragile species. So there's a list of species in the rule that are considered fragile, meaning that their, their survival off of a traveling water screen is, is pretty poor to begin with. So anything that you may do during this study to kind of tweak and try to improve that survival just, just may not help at all. They're just kind of um, I, I've heard folks in the industry kind of say they're the type of fish that you look at and they and they just die. So they're uh, they're very uh, they're very sensitive. Can actually be discounted. So when you go to develop your study plan, uh, if you have species that fall under that uh, fragile category, or there may be fish that uh, have have low survival that you think that a facility may feel is fragile, you can work with your permit director to essentially get those species kind of removed from, uh, from, from the evaluation, meaning that you don't need to necessarily hold them or include their, you know, them in, in the study. But the other species, you know, you will have to look at that, uh, that survival. And, and to your point, Ford, yes, you know, you, one facility may have the same screen and components and they may get 97% uh, survival. They may get uh, 95 five or 96 at some other facility and and there are more than you know just the components and species to look at you know water quality the environment uh there's other stressors out there uh that you have to look at or consider uh when when conducting these studies and certainly going back to developing that study plan and and i i would advise folks to to kind of work with their permit director as far as how they're going to develop that study how they're going to collect that data and then how they're going to uh, package that data and analyze it you know to get those numbers because it is uh it is a challenging project to undertake um and there are a lot of things to think about that go into certainly the survival of, of fish at one facility versus another hey dan you, you mentioned in one of the couple things there that the holding facility and i've seen plants that, that put in very elaborate holding facilities and it and they spend during the two years but is it are there requirements for that or is that plant chosen or are there options and how, how that works Sure. Yeah, I've recently been working and authoring a um, a technical resource report for the Electric Power Research Institute, specifically on this topic of designing and operating a, a fish holding facilities for optimization studies at, at facilities. And and there's a lot of things that kind of come into play, as you can imagine, as you start thinking about this. You know, how many 
that that facility, how big it needs to be, really really ties back to the type of study that you have. Maybe how many fish you get impinged. So impinging at each facility is a, they call it an episodic, really in nature, in that you know fish you can go long periods of time without impinging many fish species, and then all of a sudden you impinge quite a few. Um, and that's something that you can you need to think about is how many fish are you anticipating uh, needing to uh, collect off off of any given stream. That will determine maybe how many tanks you need to have uh, as far as holding capacity. Um, also, how many uh, components you're looking at and how many, um, how long those, you know, different replicates can imagine if you're, if you're going to do two hour tests and you're going to do 10 two hour tests, uh, you need to have 10 different tanks to keep those fish separated. You may also want to separate different species of fish. You know, you may have some fish that are going to be predator types that are going to prey on other fish, then you don't want to put them in together. So you may need additional tanks to kind of separate some of the species. Um, other facilities have, while it's not required, what we call kind of supplemental fish. So that's either hatchery fish that you've bought, or it could be wild caught fish. So you go out and with a net or, or electrofish in the, in the source water body and collect those fish. And you'd bring them back in and, and, and maybe count them out. So you would need to have holding facilities to hold those fish maybe in the stock tank. And then if there was, as you're counting them out and using them in the facility, you uh, need to account for, well, how many are you going to be using? You know, a hundred at a time, uh, how many replicates and up to how big a facility we need to be. And certainly, as you, as you mentioned before, they can be quite expensive, you know, as you can imagine, like anything, as it gets bigger, it gets more complex, it's, it's more, it's more uh, expensive, but there really is a variation. You know, I've seen facilities use, you know, five gallon buckets, Something typical that uh, ASA will often use is, is five-gallon buckets with a water line from the source water body feeding each of those buckets with drill holes at the top, and that spills over to a, a back to the source water facility, and you can kind of number each of those buckets uh, to give them kind of some uniqueness, all the way up to uh, you know big uh, recirculating facilities or, or flow-through facilities that have multiple tanks that they might have filters uh, that might require pumps, uh, large aeration. You know, you could even have certain alarming systems to kind of indicate staff if there are any issues and they're not on site. Because uh, as I mentioned, these fish would be held, say, overnight. So yeah, it, it can get very complex and expensive. So it, it, and it does tie back to that study design and, and what the study is going to look like. And certainly w what's the number of, of fish that are, that are likely going to be be uh, involved in this study and, and, and how facilities plan for that. Um, so it, it is a big consideration in, in, within this, uh, this study. So being in the industry for 15 years, Dan, uh, you've worked on several studies related to fish survival, related to MTWS interaction. Can you pull from that experience and explain what the process is like for preparing for, conducting, and analyzing the results of this MTWS study. So walk us through some of the prep considerations, some of the conducting procedures, and uh, the impact of analyzing said results. Yeah, so facilities uh, would certainly need to kind of select a, 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 a screen. Um, they, they may want to consider, you know, pulling together a team, you know, that um, their, their operations folks, their environmental compliance folks, uh, perhaps it's some consultants, uh, perhaps it's the screen vendors themselves, uh, like Atlas, SSI. And as you select that screen and you think about, well, what components are you going to be evaluating? You, you, you need to kind of let the vendor know that. Uh, that's something you need to think about. So for example, if you're going to adjust spray wash header, you would need to be able to access that. So 
folks like Ford would need to know that you want to have an access hatch in the shroud so you can get at that uh, that header and be able to adjust it and move it. So it's important to kind of think about these things early on in the process, maybe even before you've even installed the screen, to think about uh, how you're going to conduct the study, what things you need to look at, and making sure that those screens when they arrive on site are able to be adjustable and uh, accessible uh, for those, those various components. Um, so that's kind of the early on process is starting to think about that develop your study plan. You know, as I mentioned, folks may want to consider uh, sending a draft study plan to their director and being kind of open as far as what they're looking at, how they're going to evaluate, you know, the different components, how they're going to collect fish, what they're expecting. Um, if, if episodic uh, impingement is, is an issue at their facility and they don't feel they're going to get a large amount of, of organisms, they want to be sure that what they're going to do for this study is going to be something that's going to be acceptable because certainly um, no facility wants to develop a study, conduct a study, and then submit that report and then not have the permit director accept it and, and require them to do additional work beyond the two years that they've already spent on this. So it will be important for them to kind of develop that study plan and uh, work through all, the, all those things. And then, you know, probably the next steps are really just kind of gearing up for that study. So, you know, whether that's uh, you know figuring out you know you have to construct and and install a sampler to kind of divert the water off of the the screens to collection area where you can remove the fish and then put them into a holding facility which you'll have to design and construct on on site ensure you have the space which could be inside the facility uh, inside the screenhouse or perhaps it has to be outside because of space constraints under a tent or something to, to that regard and then you know implementing that study and and making it happen is really the next you know next steps is, is getting the staff available, you know, scheduling, you know, that once per month uh, throughout the two years. How, how are you going to uh, deal with, you know, various weather conditions and, and issues depending on where the facility is, if it's in a northern or southern area of the country, you know, you have different, different environmental issues you've got to deal with both from the fish perspective, but also from the staff perspective, their safety you know, in, in high heat or, or, or cold conditions, um, you know, should also be considered as, as well. And then, um, you know, certainly how you analyze and, and pull together that report, because again, as I mentioned, you want to make sure that this, these results are, are to your permit director and, and that you've looked at these components and, and you've uh, identified, you know, the optimal survival, fish survival operation, and you're able to provide a, a report product to the director that's that's going to be acceptable and and that they will be able to use to determine how best to operate your screen into the future. And, and certainly folks may also want to incorporate uh, an operational and maintenance plan because once uh, they get their permit back from their director, they are going to have some set points and some things that they'll have to operate and run these screens. And, um, you know, a lot of facilities may not be operating them this way currently and may not be spending as much time you know, monitoring how the screens are being are, are being operated, and that's certainly something they're going to have to do in the future. So, so they'll need to think about uh, that that plan on how to how to operate and maintain those screens as best as they can, uh, so that they are not clients with their permit moving forward. Um, so there's a lot of things to think about. There's a lot of steps in these studies and it, it's, it's, it's important facilities to, to start thinking about it early on. As I said, even before you've, you've purchased a screen to start thinking about how you're going to move through this, uh, this process. So if it's dependent on water intake professionals to start the optimization study process early, how should they begin to shop around for an MTWS and an MTWS manufacturer? What are the most important variables that are telling uh, 
of a quality product and do these variables vary by industry or application? I guess I, I would say that, you know, I, I mentioned some of the components that, that are required to be fish friendly, you know, the continuous rotation of the screen, having the appropriate buckets that, that have low turbulence, um, smooth mesh, you know, a lot of these things are, 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 I guess I would say common knowledge for the vendors. They, they are aware, you know, you know, Ford certainly has been keeping up with the regulations and, and understands, you know, what needs to be to go into that. So, so folks should certainly first be making sure they're getting a, a what's considered a fish friendly screen and, and, and is defined by the EPA as, as a, as a fish friendly screen with those components. Um, and then be thinking about which components they, they want to evaluate for their, their facility for their optimization study and make sure that those, those components are accessible and they're adjustable, you know, spray washes can go up and down in different, uh, different PSIs that they can rotate the screen at different speeds and that they can do it easily because as you imagine you're going to have a sampling staff out there that are going to need to adjust these components or have an operator there that's going to need to adjust these components on a regular basis um, quite frequently when that sampling staff is there. So having uh, some some thought ahead of time as you're shopping for the screens and, and thinking about that, what's what's the accessibility, what's the easeability of, of changing these and then certainly the, the, the long-term things to think about as well that most facilities will do whenever they're buying a new component for their 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 plant is is you know these screens are a little different than traditional traditional screens may have only operated you know once a shift or a couple times a shift the new requirement for fish friendly screens is that they operate and rotate continuously or near continuously so you need to be thinking about the components that uh, are going to kind of be wear and tear and the maintenance and and things of that nature on those screens because it, it will be operating slightly different than it was before. Uh, have additional spray wash, you have low flow spray wash that you didn't have before. So, so there's some other components uh, that, that folks need to be thinking about as they're, they're shopping for screens and talking to vendors and, and preparing requests for quotes and proposals there. Dan brings up a great point on that because the ruling actually doesn't address mechanical optimization and, and and other than to say if a screen's not running it's not optimized and you're not complying if the screen's not running so so dan's 100 percent right that you need to take the mechanical side of this very serious because the screens are now running 24 7 seven days a week uh, they're increased their runtime in, in some cases you know 75 80 percent at some plants now and so you know the plant's not prepared for the wear and tear that they're going to get so optimizing and preparing early and and learning what to do to those screens is is key in this so and we and dan and i gave a presentation one time together he did the biological side and and and, and i did the mechanical and we look at it all the same from our company standpoint because if that screen's not running it's not compliant so he's, he's right mechanical operating and making sure that it's it, it can stand what it's going to be hit with once it starts running like like they do it's very serious and finally, Ford, this is mostly for you, but Dan, you can give some context on how you've seen Atlas SSI's products uh, put into practice. Uh, how does Atlas SSI work to provide quality MTWS that are compliant and easy to implement for water intake professionals and that also keep in mind uh, the need for study compliance under Rule 316B? Well, I mean, the, the real answer to that could be a whole other podcast for another day, right. <laughs> but 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 you know it started years ago to to understand what had to be what had to be done and and plants need to 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 have the the comfort that what you're selling them is is proven 
And Dan mentioned the uh, the modified wrist trough design, and that is listed in the ruling as an acceptable design. But but it goes further than that because it, and you know back in 2010. Uh, we began. We did a, a, an evaluation study for the for the buckets themselves, and then we followed in 2015, and where we did kind of an optimization of coarse mesh and fine mesh. I think coarse mesh is kind of taken the forefront because that's a a whole other topic for another day with with coarse mesh versus fine mesh. But we looked at that. We also looked at the debris removal efficiency in 2015 for both coarse and fine mesh. Uh, we've participated in a, in a EPRI study along with EPRI and Con Ed on the dual flow conversion and continuous versus, you know, so so through the years we've conducted and participated in a lot of studies, which takes a lot of resources to do that, but it's part of it because when you, when you, a lot of the plants want to see these results before they ever buy the screen. So it's an ongoing process and we think we are on top of that and we've we've done a lot of projects and and had a lot of success at the end of the projects based on uh, what we learned through these studies yeah and i would uh, i would add to that you know the, you know this is a good example where you know a, a vendor has optimized by design through some research and development on previous uh, studies uh, to kind of uh, provide a, a a product that's that's kind of gone through so if Ford mentioned the, the laboratory study back in 2015, that's primary goal was to kind of evaluate uh, the transfer of efficiency, injury, and survival of impingeable size fish collected off of an Atlas SSI through flow screen. Um, at different approach velocities and different screen rotation uh, conditions. So this work was actually done in a large recirculating flume at uh, Alden Research Laboratories, and uh, the study evaluated four freshwater species, bluegill, bigmouth buffalo, channel catfish, and golden shiner. Um, the experimental design that uh, was used for this study uh, was uh, very similar, uh, the methodology to uh, previous studies conducted by EPRI on other modified traveling water screens in, in laboratory studies. So we want to be able to kind of compare the results to, to those studies. Uh, involved kind of releasing 100 uh, marked fish in, in different groups in front of the, the, the screen at a one-foot approach velocity um, and rotating the screen at two feet per minute as well as 10 feet per minute. Um, and we um, kind of conducted that uh, evaluation. Um, fish collected off of that screen were then held for a 48-hour period, similar to kind of what we'd need to do in the field for optimization study, um, is to look at any kind of latent impingement effects. Um, and the, the, the total survival uh, was found to be pretty high during the uh, ATLAS uh, SSI evaluation in the lab for all the species and the test conditions. Um, and a comparison of, of, of that total survival to previous uh, EPRI, EPRI studies uh, showed uh, very, you know, comparable results. It was very similar to, to other studies that have been done with other traveling screens. So, uh, you know, this, this study was that Atlas SSI conducted was, was kind of one example of, of where they've spent the time up front uh, to invest in, in their product and it line, you know, in this laboratory study to, to then uh, provide uh, any tweaks that they may need to do uh, to ensure that that product before it, you know, gets to the facility has already, you know, kind of been been done some some optimization. And then that uh, that screen was actually used in some subsequent studies afterwards for, for EPRI uh, to look at some other optimization things in, in the laboratory. So a, a lot of work has has been done already for, for these screens before they've even arrived at a, at a facility. So it's important information for facilities to know and ask about certainly when they're when they're looking to, to, to purchase a screen is what's already been done and, and looked at 
on these different screens. All right, Ford, Dan, I think that wraps up our conversation today. Any final thoughts you want to leave our audience with as uh, they continue to look to compliance under the 316B ruling and uh, potentially look to get on board with reducing fish impingement mortality? Uh, only that uh, some of the studies that we mentioned, that if a customer requests that data, we'll certainly supply that. That's that's the reason we did the study. So, and that's kind of the way we go approach a process with a customer is we kind of join together with them. So, any information that we have, uh, they're welcome to to use in the optimization of their equipment. And and also, and again, I, I want to thank Dan for joining us today, and I appreciate his uh, expertise and and uh, he's always uh, uh, helps me out uh, to understand the biological side. So I appreciate Dan. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me, Ford. Yeah, I would just add, you know, that folks, uh, facilities should just really just do your research, I guess, as a research biologist. That's that's the big thing I'll push out there. There's a lot of information. There's a lot of, of work that's been done. There's, you know, ask questions early so that you can really avoid any any issues or, or, or problems down the road once you're already doing the study. Look into things and and, and kind of uh, consider all, 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 the, all the potential, you know, challenges that may need to be overcome as you work through this process. Fantastic. All right. Again, we've been chatting today with Dan Giza and Ford Wall. Dan Giza is a senior environmental scientist at ASA Analysis and Communication, and Ford Wall is a vice president of sales at Atlas SSI. Dan, Ford, thank you both so much for joining us on the podcast and giving us your thoughts on this timely topic. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of The Intake, an Atlas SSI podcast. If you like what you heard and want to listen to previous episodes, you can go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify, look up The Intake or Atlas-SSI, and there you'll find a full catalog of previous episodes as well as the ability to subscribe and get notifications for upcoming conversations. You can also go to our website at atlas-ssi.com, again, atlas-ssi.com, for a full breakdown of content, including podcasts, blogs, videos, and articles, but also a breakdown of our solutions and services. So thanks again for listening. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and we'll catch you next time.